This morning's scripture reading will be from John chapter 9, verses 32 to 41. Again, that's John chapter 9, verses 32 through 41, and I will be reading from the New King James Version. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answered and said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Rene Lacoste was a tennis player in the 1920s. And as he was very, very good at what he did, he uh, had a career of seven wins of national tournaments, including the Wimbledon, uh, the U.S. Open, the French Open. And his friends like to give him a nickname because of his tenacity on the court. He was such a good tennis player, but he was tenacious, and so they called him Le Crocodile. And Lacoste liked it so much that he took that, uh, that symbol of a crocodile and he put it on all of his, uh, all of his, his, um, his shirt that he wore while he, was playing, uh, while he was playing tennis. And in fact, it was that uh, the movement caught on. People liked the little crocodile and they put it on everything. And so, uh, as it is in the sports world, if it's popular, well, let's rebrand it, let's sell it. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people that wear still Lacoste's uh, clothing with the little crocodile on it. But a whole lot of people don't recognize the significance of what that little crocodile stands for. In the same way, it is sometimes that we can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about Jesus and his great works and the things that he's done, and yet never really understand the significance of what it is that he's done in your life and in my life. Our 2020 theme, and I'm going ahead and going to introduce it this morning, is this, and you've probably seen it already in a couple of different contexts, but our idea is we want to see Jesus in 2020 speaking about clear vision, speaking about knowing the significance of who he is and what it is that he's done in your life and in my life. Because, brothers and sisters, we can sit for years and years and years in pews and still miss it. I think about sometimes people with crosses around their neck on a necklace or maybe on a, on a ring or some piece of jewelry, and they've got that cross around their neck because they want to say, I belong to Jesus and I know Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't make a deciding factor in the way that they behave with their words or with their actions on a day-to-day basis. They've missed it. They've got the symbol without the significance. I think about sometimes Christians who sit every single service with an open Bible sitting in their lap. 
and how it is that they have Bibles, rows and rows of Bibles, maybe up on a shelf or in their car or other places, uh, sitting there on the pew waiting for them week after week, and they never open their Bible to see the significance of what Jesus has done, and they've missed it. They've got the symbol without the significance. In the same way, here in John chapter 9, as Daniel read just a moment ago, you've got some Jews who are looking at this man who was born blind, and again and again and again, as we'll see, this man who was born blind is saying, well, listen, he just opened my eyes. He opened my eyes. He opened my eyes. And they keep coming back to him and asking again and again and again, how did he do it? What do you say about him? What types of things is, does this, does this, this uh, the miracle portend? And they missed it. They saw that this man who was born blind had his eyes open. He gave testimony after testimony. He has opened my eyes but they missed the significance of the fact that Jesus was the one who was able to do it. We're working this morning out of John chapter 9, but I actually want to begin John chapter 1. As much as John likes to go back over themes again and again and again, John really likes the theme of light and darkness. I don't know if you've ever noticed that there in your Bible reading. That's a great Bible study to do is to go through John and then the books of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and look at the contrast between light and darkness about what he says about walking in the light versus what he says about walking in the darkness. He loves that theme. You've heard John being the apostle of love. John loves the theme of love. Again, he's going to come back to the teachings of Jesus that are all about the loving of one another. In John chapter 13, he says, this is the new commandment I give you, that you love one another. What's the standard? Jesus says, I have loved you. But I don't think that I've ever noticed until I began to do the study about how much John also likes the theme of beholding and looking and seeing Jesus for who he really is. For example, just in the first couple of chapters, Note John chapter 1 and verse 14, as he opens up with the deity of Jesus and talking about this is the one who came down from the Father. This is the one that we uh, that, uh, that is full of grace and truth. Note what he said there in verse 14. He said, John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says we see it. We saw it. We beheld it. We looked piercingly at it. We understood that this is him. They saw him. They saw who he was. Look down at, in the context there in John chapter 1 and verse 24. Or excuse me, John verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 29. John, having two disciples that were following him, they knew that he was a forerunner. They were waiting for the time. And here's John in John chapter 1 and verse 29 saying, Behold, look. Open your eyes and perceive the significance of what it is that's here before us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at this. I want you to see this. John chapter 1, verses 38 and 39. Those two disciples, they chase after Jesus. He turns around, sees the following, says, what do you seek? They say, teacher, where are you staying? Rabbi, where are you staying? Verse 39, he says, come and see. I want you to come and I want you to take a good hard look at where it is that I'm staying and what it is that I, uh, where it is that I live. Take a look, John chapter 1 and verse 50. Nathaniel is called by, one of, uh, by, uh, by uh, Philip and Nathaniel comes and Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, I saw you sitting under a, a tree there before Philip called you. 
Nathaniel says in verse 49, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. How did he know that? Jesus said and answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? He said, most assuredly, verse 51, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see great things, Nathaniel, if it is that you follow me. You understand the significance of what's going on. Flip over to John chapter 4. Again, we can take a look and it'd be a great survey to do, but John chapter 4. The woman there beside the well, as Jesus talks to her and visits back and forth, she comes to understand something about who it is that she's visiting with. She understands that this one is the Messiah. She says, where is he? Well, who is he? That I can say? And Jesus says, I who talking to you are, am he. And look at verse 29. She runs back into that Samaritan village. And she says, come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? The people go and they run and they take a look and they, uh, they visit with him and they, they, they uh, take a look and then they come back to her and they say, we believe, verse 42, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. John has a lot to say about seeing and about looking carefully at Jesus and understanding of what the significance is of who he is and the difference that he's able to make in our lives. When we get back to John chapter 9, you have here a situation where there's a man who has been born blind. And as they're passing by and as they're visiting together, the disciples turn their attention to this man. And can you imagine being that man born blind, sitting there in that condition, maybe holding up a cup, waiting for somebody to drop some money into your hands, hoping that that's going to be the case, and all of a sudden people get into a theological discussion about why it is this man's blind. Jesus, why is this man here? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? Which one was it, Jesus? Can you imagine if Jesus had said, oh, let me tell you about this guy. Oh, let me tell you about everything that he's done. Let me tell you about everything that his parents have done. Jesus had the ability to do that, but he didn't. He didn't. Instead, Jesus says that the works of God may be seen, made apparent, manifest in him. Brothers and sisters, where would we choose to acknowledge it or not? If we are in Christ, Jesus has opened our eyes. Jesus has done spiritually for us what he did physically for this man 2,000 years ago. And as we look at ourselves and as we see some things about trying to see Jesus in 2020 and not missing the significance of who he is, it means we've got to come to grips with a couple of things. Look with me in this chapter. We've got four points for you this morning about seeing Jesus clearly, about who he is and what it is that he's done for us. First thing is seeing Jesus clearly has to do with letting him restore our vision. Letting him restore our vision. Who sinned, this man or his parents? What reason is he there because of uh, because of his blindness. Was it his parents' sin or was it his own? Jesus says the works of God should be made clearly seen, apparent in this man. There ought to be a difference. A before and after picture. We like before and after pictures sometimes. I don't know if you ever watched the uh, show with Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? Fixer Upper. I love that just for the before and after pictures. 
If I could fast forward all the way through the construction and the, the, the changing of this house from the inside and go to like the last 10 minutes where they show what they had before and then what they made it into, what they have after. We love before and after, provided that the after is better than the before. <laughs> Nobody likes to go into a house and say, man, it was a dump before, but you guys really trashed this place up. Nobody likes to look at things like that. What we like to see is that there's a substantial change and there's something better that was there or that's there than was to begin with. Beginning to see with Jesus, with 2020 vision, and to letting him open our eyes, brothers and sisters, is to realize that before we knew him, we were in a deplorable state. We were in a horrible condition. We were in a situation where we were not doing the works of God. We were condemned because of our sin. We were continually dwelling in a state of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2, the way that the Lord doesn't want us to. And we were in a situation like that where we were helpless to do anything about it, just like this blind man. But after we encountered Jesus, after we looked into the Word, and began to see what it is that he wanted us to do. And as we began to see who he is, it made a difference. Now all of a sudden, because of him, I don't have to worry about the results of making choices that I previously made without his will. I don't have to think about the consequences of what it was that I did previously. It's not about my parents' sin. It's not about my sin anymore. It's about seeing him clearly. Christians, can we answer this truthfully this morning? Is your life qualitatively better because you can see the error that so many are falling prey to while walking in the darkness? Is your life qualitatively better because Jesus is in your life and because you have submitted your life to His than before it was that you became a Christian? If it's not qualitatively better, then I would say that you're probably still walking in darkness and you're not seeing Jesus like you ought to. You're not seeing Jesus with 2020. You're missed the significance of what it is that He's able to do. We've got to remind ourselves to see Jesus clearly. Otherwise, we may be looking at the wrong things. Restoring our vision is what he's all about. Secondly, letting Jesus open our eyes means we examine his character. We examine his character. I mentioned just a moment ago, but I want you to see it in black and white in your own Bible, please, about how many times this man had to give a defense. <laughs> Note this blind man. All he did was have this man put this mud on his eyes. He, Jesus spit on the ground, he made some mud, and he put it on this man's eyes. said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. He sent this man to go wash in the pool that means sent. As this man washed, he opened his eyes for the first time and saw light. He didn't see blackness anymore. He now had an opportunity to live his life. First time I got glasses was I was in the third grade, and I didn't realize how bad my vision had become. But when that doctor took those glasses and put them on my eyes for the first time, I was like, wow, look at those trees. They've got so much detail. <laughs> you, you start to seeing things as a big fuzzy mass, and, and before too long you forget the way that the world looks. I cannot imagine never having a man, or having a man never having seen anything, and all of a sudden he begins to look around. 
don't you know he was a traveling man? He began to get up and walk around and, and examine things. Oh, so that's where I've been sitting. Oh, so that's what that looked like. Oh, so I've been eating that thing for years. This is what it tastes like. And this is now I've got a picture to look at it. And as this man began to see these things, all of a sudden there were people that began to say, Wait a minute, is, this, is this the same guy? Is this the same guy that was blind and now he sees? How did that happen? What did he say or what, uh, what was he asked there in verse 10? Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He said, well, a man that called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go and wash at the pool of Siloam. And so I went. I went and washed, and then I received sight. Look at verse 15. Now the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said, he put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Down to verse 17. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, well, he's a prophet. Down to verse 19. They asked him. <laughs> they began to ask his parents. Is this your son? What who uh, who do you say was born? Who you say were, were, was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse twenty-six, all the way down in the context, going back. Well, tell tell us this man's a sinner. You know he's a sinner. Verse twenty-six, and they said to him again, "What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" They ask a number of times in this context from a number of different parties. How is this that this is possible? And when you look at it, they saw the miracle, but they missed the significance. How did he do it? Verse 33 should have been the logical conclusion. Verse 33 should have been, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. There's times when I have to ask some hard questions about the things that Jesus taught, there's some times that I have to ask some hard things about how it is that he wants me to conduct myself in any given situation. There's times when all of us ought to wrestle with the teaching of Jesus because we don't maybe understand them the way that they ought to, or we don't understand the significance and the application to our lives, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask the hard questions. You know why? Because Jesus and his character can stand up to our scrutiny. Jesus and being a disciple of his means that we look at his character carefully and say, how can I model my life after that? How can I see clearly to let his character make a difference in what it is that I do and the choices that I make every single day? Looking at him and seeing clearly means we take to him our understanding and our misunderstanding. Lord, I don't understand this. But the fundamental truth that we can always go back to is verse 25. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. While a lot of people are looking for a reason to discount Christianity, a lot of people are looking to poke holes in Christianity and say, well, I see this problem and this problem and this problem. And you are absolutely, as we were talking about on Wednesday nights in the uh, fellowship class, we are obligated to give it a defense of our faith. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But one of the best defenses you and I can give is to say, looking at the character of Jesus, one thing I know is He's made a difference in my life. He's changed me. I was blind, but now I see. Which leads us to point number three. Seeing Jesus clearly means we appreciate His work in our lives. 
after this man is examined and cross-examined and re-examined and unexamined and, and then ultimately cast out of the synagogue because he didn't give the right answers. That was the Jews' response. It wasn't to believe in the one that did this great miracle, but they said, we're going to cast you out because you won't say and you won't toe the line of what it is that we've all already agreed, that he's not the son of God, he's just a sinner. And this man says, I know he's not a sinner. I know he's one sent from God. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd cast this blind man out of the synagogue, and when he'd found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. You've seen him. It's he who's talking with you. Then he said, This blind man who could now see, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He got down on his knees. He fell down before him as the inferior to the superior. And he gave this man his grateful praise. It wasn't a, Lord, I believe. You can hear the emotion in his voice. Lord, I believe. I understand. And he fell down and he gave Jesus what it was that a miracle that a difference ought to make in a person's life. Lord, I believe. Now, seeing Jesus clearly... When we're looking at Jesus and we understand the significance of the difference that he's made in our lives. Brothers and sisters, that's going to lead us to praise him the way that this blind man praised him. It's going to make a difference in how we worship. I appreciate what Carrie had to say about worship this morning and about how we're following the New Testament pattern from what we've received. But brothers and sisters, more than the pattern... It's a matter of the heart and an understanding that, that as we, we look and we understand what's right, we also understand the right attitude and the heart that it comes forth from. Can you imagine this blind man sitting and singing Amazing Grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was, finish it, blind, but now I see. How do you suppose that sounded in his worship? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If Jesus made you see, if you were once blind and now you see, how does that sound in your life? Because if that's what we're offering, brothers and sisters, I've got to say we've missed it. We don't understand the significance if our minds continually drift down to the local lubies to find out what's on the Luan platter for the day. We've got an understanding of the greatness of the salvation that he's offered us. Doesn't that call for songs of loudest praise? Doesn't that call for us to fall down and worship him the way this blind man did? Seeing Jesus with 2020 is going to make a difference in our worship. Seeing 2020... Jesus in 2020 means, lastly, seeing his way. Seeing his way. You can subtitle this if you're taking notes. I want his way to illuminate my life and my work. I want his way to make a difference in everything that it is that I do in my life. Note how this passage concludes down in verse uh, uh, 39 through 41. 
as this man is there and he's falling down and worshiping Jesus. Verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who, note, do not see may see. Isn't that what he just did? And that those who see may be made blind. Publicly, as he's making this declaration, there were apparently some religious leaders of the Jews. Some of the Pharisees who were with him and heard these words said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. That's kind of a cryptic statement that Jesus makes. It's one of the hard things that we have to wrestle with, but one of the best things we can do is let the Bible be its own best commentary. Flip back to chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, and let, let's let this passage offer commentary on what it is that he just said here in verses 39 to 41. Chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. After that great passage, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but ever, everlasting life. Note what he says there in verse 19 of John chapter 3. This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. That's right. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. Here's these Pharisees loving the praises of men, loving their position, loving what this world has made them. And they're coming around as spiritual religious leaders and saying, we see, we can help you out with those problems. We can do something about it. Well, but what we're going to put all these burdens on you and trying to do this. And instead of looking at Jesus for who he is and grasping the significance, they were too busy poking holes in what he was doing because his teaching counteracted their lifestyle and their self-righteousness. And so it is. John says, the one who's practicing evil hates the light. He's not going to come and bring his things to the light to let those things be exposed. And that's exactly the point Jesus making. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Somebody who comes to Jesus and somebody who comes in sincerity, grasping what it is that he's able to do, is also somebody that's going to be through with sin. Through with hating the light and its exposure of my evil ways and thoughts and words ready for the light to shine and to illuminate my life, to see Jesus clearly. That is, that there's nothing off limits to what it is that I want him to expose. The other night, as we were getting ready for the storms, actually it was that morning, I mentioned that there was some heavy weather coming through, and my kids started gathering up all the flashlights in the house, and they started gathering up all the candles and all the, the things and putting them into a single bucket so that we would be ready if it was that the lights went out. We made sure that as we put them to bed that there were flashlights besides everybody's, uh, everybody's bedside so that if it were the power went out in the night, which is kind of common Briarwood Crossing down south of, uh, south of town, we would be ready. But that we could illuminate in the darkness. Why do people put night lights in those dark corners? Whenever it is that the Lord comes into our life, when it is that we see Jesus is able to open our eyes, 
You know, those dark corners and the recesses of our mind, the things that we wish nobody else would know about, the things that we would love to have hidden, those are the exact things that Christ wants to illuminate so that they can be dealt with, so that there is no darkness in our minds. Light doesn't choose, darkness doesn't choose what the light illuminates. Darkness doesn't choose to stay once the light is where it ought to be. The light just does what the light does, and the darkness flees. When we have Jesus in our life, it's going to make a difference in everything that we do and everything that we say and think. We've got brand new Christians here in the assembly this morning. And as it is, as those people may not necessarily know anything else other than I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And as they let Jesus make a difference in their life, it's going to be like what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, that when they see the dynamic change that's been brought about in your life because of Jesus, when they see that there's a dramatic contrast in the way that you used to be versus the way that you are now, they said, Peter says it's going to be a strange thing to them. They're looking at it going, I don't get it. This person used to go out and lie and drink and steal and, and, and have a great time with us whenever we did that. Why is it that you're different? And the answer is because I've got Jesus making a difference in my mind and my heart. I see him and I grasp the significance of the change that ought to be brought about in my life. Does that describe you? Does that describe me this morning? In the way that we behave, in the way that we conduct ourselves on a daily basis? It should. Because if he's opened our eyes, then we should not miss the significance of how it is that he's able to change our life. As you look one more time at John chapter 9 before we leave this, I appreciate Daniel stopping and reading again the first two verses of that. If I could have that read 50 more times, I would. But as we conclude, this is a fitting conclusion because of what this blind man says in his testimony in verse 32. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. If Jesus were not from God, he can't make a difference in your life and my life. Lasting. If Jesus were not from God, there's no way that he could offer what it was that he said that he came to offer. And that is life. That is life. That is joy. That is peace. That is hope. That is forgiveness. All of those wonderful blessings, Christian blessings, that we sometimes, brothers and sisters, take for granted, myself included. But the truth is, the same one who opened that blind man's eyes 2,000 years ago is still able to open your eyes and my eyes so that we can see clearly to live a life that's full of righteousness and peace and joy and forgiveness and a life that glorifies God as you let your light shine. You let his light shine. Do you see Jesus clearly this morning? Do you want to? If we can help you at all in doing so, won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song?